Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Horror Bites on Safe Room, the show where we highlight short indie horror games and the people who make them. I am trying to convince the community the giant ants are coming and he is lost in a yellow nightmare. Today, together, we are Neil Bolt and Jay Krieger. How goes it, Jay? Good. The uh, apartment horror is uh, definitely a subgenre that I seemingly keep coming back to. Maybe that's because it <laughs> relates to my own life in some ways. But, uh, you know, I'm excited to chat about this and especially about yours because you picked a, a hell of a game this week for us to chat about. Yeah, one that must have passed us by earlier in the year because it came out in February. You realized afterwards, like, oh, yeah. So, yeah, uh, this week we do find out what happens if you combine Giallo Cinema with Jinji Ito weirdness, and there is an ant invasion of the extra large kind. Uh, these games can be found on Itch.io if you do play any of them and enjoy them. Please make sure you give them you know, a bit of love by supporting them in whatever way you can. So, first this week, another intriguing fusion of things we like in an indie horror game. Shocker, I know. Jay, <laughs> can you tell us about The Melting Apartment? Sure. This is from Flower Studio, and you can find this on Itch.io. And as you mentioned, you know, two of the inspirations for this were Italian Giallo films and Junji Ito's work, which I think are pretty apparent from, you know, not even the opening moments of the game, but I think just the Itch.io page in general, because... Mm. This game has a very unique take on the sort of Game Boy aesthetic that we've seen over the you know months yeah. and at this point you know years of horror bites, um, and it's the type of thing where it was really nice to see somebody take that aesthetic, but then you know take those other inspirations that they have outside of just trying to capture the Game Boy era and delivering something that really does kind of visually match, I suppose, the narrative vibes that this game goes for. Mm. Um, so. You know, this is all about this detective that's investigating the disappearance of a young woman who recently moved into an old building. And, you know, that's a pretty bare bones uh, plot summary, but it's the type of thing where the world itself of the melting apartment very quickly is an indication that, oh, this is, you know, a game that has a lot more style, even though if, you know, the narrative itself might not have a great deal of substance to it. And 
I'll say right from the jump, like that Game Boy aesthetic is one that we've seen and I've enjoyed it previously, but this was very much more um, sort of up my alley, I suppose, in terms of it almost being like Argento-esque, I think, in a way, the way that it uses reds and it uses blues and whatnot to convey mood and atmosphere, um, which does a lot of, I suppose, heavy lifting in terms of, you know, it's a a brief experience. It took me about five or 10 minutes probably to complete. And there's not a great deal of exposition, but I think overall, you know, once you get into the apartment, um, it just, it feels very foreboding. And that's before you meet all these really weird residents that live there, which I'll talk about in a second. But, you know, another point of reference that I had for this was something like Dark Water, um, that film, which because, you know, what I really love about that movie is the fact that it captures the dilapidated, dingy, dark atmosphere of an apartment building. And, you know, it's foreboding before you even see a ghost or semblance of a haunting or anything like that. Um, And I've always had, you know, growing up in apartments, it was the type of thing where it was like plenty of them. I probably saw them as being these haunted spaces when in reality they just had shitty landlords yeah. or maintenance people <laughs> that weren't properly taking care of them. And I think that with this game in such a short span of time, it really nails that um, in a way that makes it you know, just very, very unsettling. Yeah. Um, I'll say from like a gameplay standpoint, it was also impressive that this has the traditional sort of top-down point of view for when you're wandering around the complex But then when you actually are interacting with either a resident of the apartment or just come up against like a desk or something that you need to kind of rifle through the drawers of, it snaps to a first person perspective of this, you know, whatever you're interacting with, basically. And you get these really, really wonderfully uh, animated pixel art Mm. uh, for everything, which I was really impressed with. And um, I think just overall, you know, the lighting again, it does so much even for mundane environments like a desk, which, you know, you're going to investigate several of those. Um, you oh, you kind of just like hesitate almost for a second, like, oh, should I, you know, go rifling through this? Is something going to come out of this? Am I going to interact with this? And then something, you know, unexpected happens. And I think that, again, is just a great testament to um, the sort of direction that they took with this, which, again, there isn't a great deal of, like I said, exposition or even dialogue, but every single utterance of from a character or from the protagonist it just feels like it's a lot more involved and it it feels i suppose more meticulous in what it has to say so it says a great deal without you know inundating you with sort of needless exposition or uh if you will Hmm. um i suppose before i get into a little bit more of it for you like what really stood out to you about this one yeah you know one of the first comments actually on the page for this it says about you know being amazed that the giallo and Shinji Ito references both come through incredibly strong and they do it's um and i think choosing this sort of game boy style is a big part of why i mean you referenced you know the color scheme and how you know argento uses that sort of color thing of making things striking like that in very block colors sort of thing and you can do that obviously with a very limited color palette like this sort of game boy color-esque thing that you have and you know that also works quite well for ito's work where it is largely not done in color you know and you are getting the detail of everything without having the vibrancy and yet you i suppose you can feel the color i suppose is the best way to put it where you can kind of get a sense of what um, the mood and color is to you in the same way that reading you know, a book, you can imagine what you're reading in your head. You, you can do the same in terms of a like color scheme. 
and yeah, so that works incredibly well you know, in, in that Game Boy model. Um, yeah, and I also get the Japanese uh, like J horror cinema vibes that you're talking about as well, the, the Dark War thing especially. Yeah, I'm glad you sort of mentioned that as well because that was straight away like, yeah, it's got that same shitty building feel that you know is just perfectly, as you put it, you know, that thing you once thought was just you know, oh god, it's haunted and. Yeah, life unfortunately gives you the true horror, which is <laughs> people just don't take care of buildings and pay high and make people pay high rent for them. <laughs> but yeah, I mean everything. I mean even down to that sort of like header image they have for the page, which is again very Italian sort of horror you know, styling. You know that almost semi psychedelic sort of thing going on. And yeah, the little branching paths that you can go to basically have different endings and things like that, which handily there is like a list you can sort of check off of different ones you can get that made it quite interesting to sort of go back and find little different permeations i suppose if you were to compare it to any sort of similar game indie wise it's probably world of horror and it's while not exactly the same it's channeling up the same ingredients and um certainly an atmosphere and you know inspiration it is there and i think seeing it done on technically a higher visual scale but in smaller form it was like a really fascinating way to see that happen so yeah it's good when uh, we get these games that combine these things we like and they do it well as well so yeah it's smartly done yeah without you know delving too much into the plot and the sort of finale of it which i think really delivers in a very unique way that it feels very sort of uh perfect for the size and the scale of the story that's being told here there's definitely a page being taken out of like the cosmic horror book, like you mentioned with world of horror, which I think gives that again, atmosphere sort of a sense of the unknown. Mm -hmm. And then of course that really does come into uh, the sort of narrative reveals that there are for this, but you know, also again, just in terms of the functionality of this, you know, you've got this inventory system, which you can go through to, you know, help you solve different puzzles and these things. And then there's even like an FPS section that's very brief, I should mention. That's not the brunt of the experience, but there is a momentary FPS sequence. And I'm always impressed by these types of small scale projects that just have a variety of features in them. Whether or not, mm. you know, these are features that are, you know, genre defining or anything like that, right? Again, these are small bite-sized slices of an experience. I just am always really impressed with developers that don't sort of just lean into one avenue of something. They really have these full features that, you know, are typical of the genre which they're, you know, trying yeah. to evoke. Um, and yeah, again, multiple endings, really great sense of atmosphere and some uh, some gross surprises in store with this yes. one. But. Yeah, it's um, surprisingly grisly and weird in places I didn't expect, which is, again, very much in keeping with its inspiration. So yeah, uh, a good start again this week. Uh, but before we go on a bug hunt, we will take a small break. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. And welcome back to Horrorbite. Tim Rashaw's It Returned to the Desert is a strategy game of sorts with a B-movie feel. In it, you 
come to the lively desert town of Glint Rock. And as Dr. Mill, a geologist, it's your job to find out what happened with the recent meteor crash in town and convince the townspeople of the imminent danger of mutated giant ants. You then have to recruit a party to fight those six-legged freaks before they overrun town. Now, there were several key reasons why I picked this game, I think were very apparent. Um, I, I love 50s B-movie style schlock anyway, and the title is there, you know, straight away uh, in that. The giant ant things, of you know, things like them, and uh, it's perfectly good for me. Uh, but then, of course, it has turn-based strategy stuff, uh, very much harping back to the 90s era of that. And you know, one of the things I really loved about XCOM you know, initially uh, in the 90s was that it had that sort of B-movie idea of, oh, God, aliens are invading, and it, it, it really captured that sense of that. And it, that was there to a large respect with uh, XCOM Enemy Unknown as well. They get shied away a bit as it went further with the second game. So, yeah, that was straight away a nice little throwback thing. Kind of a bit of that ironically looks a little fallout at times as well in a way because of the sort of dusty sort of out-of-town sort of vibes of New Vegas um, where, you know, and that. And the fact that that game also had a mission with that sort of uh, thing to it with the giant ants. But it goes beyond just being the sort of turn-based game, which is quite interesting. I didn't expect, you know, there's text adventure stuff to it, mini games to it, you know, where you're doing like those shoot 'em up style things, like a spy hunter esque moment. And yeah, that was what I found quite fun about it was that I've seen loads of games do these sort of small scale tactical battle things. You know, if you think of the most famous one, Into the Breach, is like you know the, the personification of small scale turn-based strategy but here at least they thought no you know what you will make this more of a an adventure game and do more about that and one of the things you have to do as i kind of mentioned earlier was you have to sort of communicate with the people of the town to try and convince them that they need to do something about what's coming and this is a good twist on that threat that games like XCOM had where it's like you know there's a looming threat something terrible that's going to happen and you kind of got to rally forces get everything done, researched before they get to that point, you know, and before it gets too bad. Here, you know, the, the scale of it is a bit smaller than the, the, the problem you're facing is technically smaller and the way you're going about it is different because you are just trying to convince people who are just normal people living their lives and in that way it's like a, it's like a, a small scale dating sim but not you know the idea is not to date anyone but to convince everyone of the same thing you spend a great deal of time courting a lot of the towns yeah that's what i mean so that's what's great about that as well because that's a good subversion of that and it makes it a bit more personal than in sort of building your team from a collection of characters um some of those lessons that Paraxis sort of learned with um marvel's midnight suns you know the idea of camaraderie with established characters and learning their backgrounds and getting them sort of bond together in a more natural way and so yeah this takes that on a very small scale with you know everything i've said before and that sort of retro art style is right so enticing just something about like the desert sort of setting of it all and those kind of buildings lots of browns and yellows and stuff it works you know as much as we sort of went against the idea of like having an era of games where everything was muddy brown you know, and like, you know, it, it 
can be done well. You know, if you, your main reason for being Muddy and Brown is because of your, the place you were in, you know, not something about the desert in general just kind of brings the idea of like sci-fi conspiracies and things like that anyway. And especially the sort of rural small town things, maybe that's just like a, a very stereotypical thing to say <laughs> about like from afar, but you know, it, that's what it looks like to me. It's also not inaccurate because the game itself makes a point to say that about the community from the outset. So it's not just like you making a a judgment call based on a few factors. (laughs) It's like the game quite literally is saying, oh, these are people that, you know, are going to probably not have uh, a great deal of life experiences, perhaps, that could give them an indication of what's happening outside of like, oh, it's, you know, the Lord's work or something like that. There's like an (laughs) undertone of that with several characters that you meet. Um, And I think even early on, like the sheriff or maybe the mayor or somebody's like, yeah, like there's some simple folk around here and they don't take kindly to people that have a science background such as you do in this game <laughs> coming from all the way from New England, which, you know, not saying everybody is hostile towards you being there, but, you know, you might as well be like the devil before you yeah. even introduce yourself to some people just based on, you know, some people's view of the world or view of the country. That's it. Yeah. It's um, always that great sort of allegory anyway, in any kind of, sci-fi story of something landing in a rural town of distrust of the outsider and then that sort of extends to people in general so that when they come out so yeah i've always liked that aspect of that um yeah it's surprising that that can work here you know um normally you know we expect a certain sense of scale with these games so that's fine and you know this is one of those rare exceptions where you know it's costs money you know at the gate you know they're saying 2.99 at least to pay which is you know, a bargain in my book anyway and yeah i think you can see why that they've justified saying oh, pay something because this has got something to it you know we, we've really fleshed this out and given it something interesting and it's one of those Things at first appears to be like a nostalgia trap for people who you know, grew up on 90s sort of PC strategy games. But again, like the game we just talked about, it's got this smartness to it, you know, where it's using some of those modern touches to sort of blend it all together and make you feel like this could be a game I would have enjoyed back in the day, but you never would have got a game exactly like this because it's taking the approach of the sort of things we were talking about, you know, the, the camaraderie and friendship and trying to gel people together in a way that's definitely more of a modern strategy and sort of sim-like thing. So yeah, I was smitten with this whole thing, to be fair. It was um, when we were doing the last episode and I was talking about picks and yeah, I spent like 10 seconds looking through like the browsing page. I was like, ooh, yeah, pick this. And yeah, instincts went well, I think, on this one. I mean, you've um, told me some of your feelings on it but um would you like to elaborate further on how you felt about that yeah you know i was really floored by kind of what you said this blending of nostalgia for older pc games from the 90s but it has modern sensibilities but those the way in which like those modern sensibilities are in, sort of uh, included into this package they're so seamless that you barely mm. recognize them to go off of what you were kind of saying the idea that these were features that seem like they would have been at home in a 90s strategy game, but they never would be just because of, you know, where design was in games and the types of ways that you could blend genres and have these genre enigmas. You know, something like XCOM is a great example of a game that was ahead of its time because of 
you know, the base management stuff and the metagame behind it and everything. And with this, it was nice also not to see them just kind of try to make an atomic creature feature XCOM. Mm. You know what I mean? It it really does feel like, okay, it has a metagame aspect to it, but it is wholly unique to this specific type of game. And the fact that, you know, for a game that is only a handful of bucks, it's the type of thing where there's so much depth to it. And I think that, you know, some of those features like the day-night cycle, sometimes when I see that being a feature on a game, I'm like, I mean, that's kind of just a marketing buzzword. That doesn't (laughs) necessarily always factor into a game in a meaningful way. And with something like this, when you've got that countdown timer that, you know, is... Uh, creating a good sense of tension or a great deal of tension, I think, at a certain point, because it's like, okay, I have to be on a clock. I can't kind of willy-nilly investigate places at random because then that eats up time every day. And then really getting a sense of, you know, what characters maybe are more sort of finely tuned to having certain responsibilities. Like, what are the different roles that you can have them do when they're not in a, uh, a fight? It's like work, patrol, and recruit. And so based on what you know about some of those characters just in those brief interactions, some of them have a tendency to perform better in a specific role. Like there's a pharmacist that you get to join you early on. Well, she's much better at working to bring money in that then you can spend on resources than kind of like the vagrant kid that you buy beer for at the park. I think they can only bring in like a couple of dollars, but they are a lot better at patrolling an area and calling out ant sites that you need to attack. And then that, you know, furthermore increases the... um, uh, what was it? The meter basically to make the town aware of the alien inv- yeah. the ant invasion. Um, so like a lot of nuances like that, I think show that this developer had a very clear vision for what they were doing. And at the same time, they weren't going to just kind of have this one-off experience for it returning to the desert. Right. Cause initially I thought, Oh, this will just be combat focused because that's what I saw on the page at first. But to find out there's this whole in-depth meta aspect to the game and there is a good amount of depth to it. Um, is something that was really impressive. And just one last thing, you know, with something like XCOM, when you have those soldiers, the anecdotal nature and the attachment you get to them is based off of combat, right? Because Mm -hmm. they don't really have backstories. You're making up their story as you go through missions. And in something like this, it's the reverse in that, you know, a majority of them, of the people that you can get to join your party, you have to persuade them because people are not just going to like buy that there's, you know, 30 foot ants out there. And so each one of them has this little mission that you have to do beforehand. And it's not to say that they're um, like substantive in any way, but I think Mm. that just like little narrative vignettes with each of these characters makes them more notable. So that way, when one of them dies in combat, it has that same gut wrenching feel of like, oh, fuck, that's the person who I helped hook up with the radio manager uh, who fucked up his first date and stuff like that. Um, So like little vignettes like that, I think, give this town a real sense of community in a way that really does allow for that party system to feel meaningful outside of just the combat um, sort yeah. of emphasis that's there. Yeah, it, it really does do those things well together. I think that's um, another example of just taking modern stuff and applying it nicely. And, you know, on a last sort of point with this, that very particular nostalgia beyond like what kind of game it is, um, for me, it was like when I first looked at it, you know, and saw that image, you know, the, the title image of, you know, with the ants and stuff. The pixel art that done for it so reminded me of how I used to feel when I had like a ZX Spectrum as like my first computer and I saw like Amiga stuff and you would look at it and it would look like 
you know, night and day. It, it would be like the difference between the PS1 and the PS5 to you. And that's how massive it would seem in difference. And yeah, that straight away I looked at that and I was like, ooh, yeah. Tapped into some sort of that strange little nostalgia moment for me of just wanting something, you know, even though we've we've gone far past it in terms of like visual style. It's uh, But that never goes away somehow, which is yeah. a, a strange one. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, just to recap, those games were The Melting Apartment by Flower, and It Returned to the Desert by Tim Rashaw. Hopefully I said that name right this time, but um, uh, links to those will be in the show notes as well. Okay, uh, we are wrapping things up now. If you are, as ever, a developer of an indie horror game, demo concept, or game jam entry, we would love to hear from you. You can drop us a DM at SaferInPod on Twitter or SaferInPod at gmail.com for email if you'd like to be highlighted or interviewed on the show. Jay, it's been bugtastic. We'll see you all next week. And in the meantime, we will keep searching for more horror players. <laughs>